it's Liz Kelly, and welcome to the Ringer Podcast Network. The NBA playoffs are in full swing, and we have coverage across all of our channels to keep you up to speed as we make our way towards the finals. Make sure to check out the Ringer NBA show for daily coverage of the games from each series, and theringer.com to read Kevin O'Connor, Dan Devine, and the rest of our NBA experts break down every key matchup. And don't forget to tune in every Sunday evening to the Bill Simmons podcast to hear Bill and Ryan Russillo's NBA reactions from the weekend. As always, these can be found on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Chang Show, part of the Ringer Podcast Network, presented by Major Domo Media. This is the second week of our year anniversary celebration, and we are going to do two podcasts this week. So thank you guys for tuning in. This week's guests are Chad Robertson and Chris Bianco, two of the best, most iconic chef slash bakers, pizza makers in America today. And uh, I love them dearly because they've done it their way, and they are masters, true masters of their craft. This week's episode features their chef partnership. They're both very distinct in terms of the kind of food they cook and where the chefs are in terms of their careers. But as different as they may seem on the outside, I think there's a unique thread that runs between these kinds of relationships. I've had a lot of support in my career from a lot of different people. But the truth is that at the end of the day, it's always been my name on the door or Momofuku's name on the door. It's been liberating a lot of ways, but it's also been incredibly terrifying to have all of that riding on your shoulders, even though everything we've done has been a team effort. I'm not saying I would do it any differently or that anyone would ever want me as a partner. And yes, I do have partners in some businesses, but it's never been like a collaboration from the get-go. And I've always been curious what it would be like to open up and share all your burdens and the joys of opening a restaurant equally. And, uh, you know, there are a lot of chef duos, right? And I'm actually really jealous of that because it can be an incredibly lonely road to do it yourself. And there are some successful, more than ever before, I think more successful partnerships. So I've been watching what Chris and Chad have been up to with great interest. And Today's guests, Chris and Chad, you know, they just opened up in downtown Los Angeles, the manufacturing with Liz Pruitt, Chad's wife, who's one of the great pastry chefs. It's probably one of the more ambitious restaurants of the past year, not just in Los Angeles, but in America. And it is a huge project. I don't even understand the scope because I don't understand all the technical baking terms, but it's much larger than the actual restaurant. The facilities for baking and what Chad is up to is on another level. You know, it's almost got this Willy Wonka-like factory feel to it, but they're doing all kinds of different concepts under one roof. Bread, pastries, roasting coffee, full-service restaurants. They have an Alameda Supper Club they just recently opened up, and flatbreads, something that Chris Bianco has famously refused to call pizza. And that is a whole nother sort of story about flatbreads. But if anyone can make flatbreads delicious, it's these two. They're incredibly well-respected. Chris and his pizza shop in Arizona, right? He made his name in mastery of this craft in a place that is not always known as being one of the great sort of culinary centers in the world today. And he's done it on his terms and he's become really one of the best out there. 
not just making pizza, but just hospitality in general for being Chris Bianco. There's only one guy like him. And he did it by questioning conventional methods and paying excruciating attention to detail and ingredients to the kinds of heirloom flowers and grains to the tomatoes that he grows and cans himself. I think he's some kind of, he, you know, he is a Zen master. He, he espouses kernels of wisdom. And man, there's no, there's no one like Chris Bianco. He just churns out these nuggets of wisdom. Sometimes I feel like it's listening to poetry, and you're going to hear it today on this podcast. Like, uh, Chris likes to talk. I'm just giving you guys a heads up. And Chad Robertson is probably the most influential baker in the world, and that is really the truth. There are a lot of bakers, and there are a lot of people that make great bread, but the fact of the matter is Chad's learned how to do it with just flour, water, and natural yeast, and some salt, and he's created a bread program that is widely imitated around the world today, and obviously teaming up with Liz to create some of the most delicious bites anywhere at the first Tartine Bakery in the Mission, and it's grown to several places around the world. But the fact of the matter is how Chad thinks about food, how he bakes bread is widely imitated, and he is spoken with complete reverence because he's basically ushered in the modern bread making that is used in the best restaurants the world over. And everyone seriously owes a great to Chad and Tartine if they don't want to admit it. One final note. At one point, Chad and I referred to something called KPK. That's short for Korean Pizza Kitchen. It's an idea we cooked up at Chris Ying's wedding after drinking a lot of whiskey. Most people think I'm kidding about it. Maybe I am. Maybe I'm not. We sort of made a joke about it on April Fool's, but one day we're going to do Korean Pizza Kitchen, and uh, it'll be with some of the bread knowledge of Chad and the pizza knowledge of Chris Bianco. So (laughs) that's going to be a story for another day. Anyway, I'll shut the fuck up. This is my conversation, a long, crazy conversation, mostly of Chris Bianco and a little bit of Chad. And that's just the way it is. Take it easy. Thank you. We are in Los Angeles at the Ringer Studios, and I am so honored to have two very (laughs) special guests, the great, great, great chefs, Chris Bianco, Chad Robertson from Tartine. You guys just opened up part of what will be one of the largest restaurant complexes anywhere? Just a little country store, man, that's all. (laughs) Day seven, day eight, something like that. Yeah, it's pretty trippy. (laughs) What's so trippy about it? You know what, just having people, I think you really get to understand the the magic of the hinges when people open them up for the first time and they start coming in and they actually maybe even give you cash for the stuff that, like you have two and a half years where all the money goes this way. And thankfully, we'll open the door. Just a little bit at least comes in to pay the light bills. And and uh, it's just trippy, I think, having people in the space that don't have like yellow helmets on and orange vests. And it's pretty cool. I don't even know what you said, but here's what I know. I think everything you, know. you say, you everything know. you say is the coolest shit anyone's ever said. Oh. And listen, Chad, Chad is one of the coolest cats I know. He is just always cool. You know who is like the coolest person? Is you. You're the coolest person in the whole business. And you're in Arizona, so no one knows how cool you are. Would yeah. you agree, Chad? He just is like a <laughs> Bianco's solid gold. Yeah. Solid gold. Can't, 
That's it. Just, I want you to talk. This is yeah. like, uh, like books yeah. on tape for me. Just yeah. hearing your voice. Maybe like nine carat, but yeah. We, we so. did. We did. We did an orientation last week for 150 new people to join our company, and it was Bianco and myself and our partner Chris Jordan, and listening to this guy talk. You know, inspiration and. A lot of love. I mean, a lot of love. I swear, if you started a cult in Venice, I'm member number one, man. I don't know, man. My kid, I'm my kid. I'm already there. It's fun with the young kids, you know, like sharing all the shit that you would kind of more do as I say, not as I definitely did. <laughs> well, people can Wikipedia, and there's there's articles and books about your careers. We'll, we'll dig in there a little bit. But this is your first LA project, right? Together, yes, and in individually too, right? But I mean, the rumors. Over the past, say, five-plus <laughs> years, between the two of you— Some it, crazy shit. It's been some crazy shit. There's been a lot of talk. And it's almost like, oh, it's it's like, oh, you hear, like, a Star Wars thing is going to happen. You're like, oh, yeah, it's never going to happen. And then it happens. You're like, fuck, this is happening. This is a massive moment in food today because you have two titans in food, in my opinion. You are, like, specialized in certain things, but as a whole, how you think about food, how you operate your business— you're two of the very best in the whole damn world. This is the truth. Well, I think I think for me, Chad and I go like way back, and, and uh, you and I go back a bit, Dave, too. From you know, I met Chad like he just got back from France, and he was working with a, a guy that I met, Alan Scott, who's a premier oven builder that kind of started a whole different revolution. And Chad was, you know, you could just see. I was just baking in the backyard in a wood-fired oven <laughs> and on a cattle ranch in Marshall, California. Yeah. And Bianco showed up to check out the wood-fired oven. And it was like, that was 1995 yeah. or something. Some, yeah. Something like that. And uh, yeah, and then, you know, soon after that, he's in a little brick box with a kind of jerry-rigged, you know, mixer from Holland, I think it was from Ben. Mm-hmm. Yep. And uh, all you could hear was this, the beautiful struggle, you know? And yeah, it was, we're still in it. And, and it's I, never stopped. You know, no. and that's what I meant, like, but the trippy part when you have the hinges on it. Like, when you walk into someone's space or their energy and you just kind of hold on for a minute. And it can be humbling, especially as you reflect upon it. Like, if knowing what I know now, like, I, I can see kind of with the gloves, you know, Chad pulling these big, beautiful Levon out of the oven. It's too hot to hold. And it's so quiet. All you hear is the crackle just as they rest. And, you know, then Calgary was up there, you know, in Point Reyes. And, just all of a sudden, it was like things were creeping. I mean, Neil's Cowgirl, Neil's Yard. I mean, it's it's crazy yeah. full circle. Like we're we're using we're really featuring Neil's Yard Dairy Cheese, and that was when Cowgirl opened. They had Neil's Yard and Jean Delot, Affineurs, and that was I was eating that stuff. I had no idea it was like the best cheese in the world, <laughs> but I was just eating that, you know. Yeah. And here we are now. We've got all this Neil's Yard. We're showcasing at our spot in LA. I mean, I'm just trying for listeners that may not know of you. Or they know of you, but it almost seems like, oh, this is like, this is supposed to happen. You guys both carved <laughs> out a universe that didn't really exist in America, and particularly where you've decided to do it. Chad with baking. I mean, but you're not just a baker anymore. You've dabbled your toes and become an expert in a lot of different fields. I just like to keep learning, you know? That's the thing. Like, show me some new stuff. I just want to keep learning. That's what keeps me alive, for sure. And Chris talking about how he would go to some place in California just to check out an oven. That, like, again, describes so much of who you are. Very, very curious. Yeah. I mean, when I opened up, I moved out from New York in 85. And, you know, I opened up my first little tiny pizzeria, Bianco, in 1988. 
with no clue. Not that I have any more clue now, but I had way less then. And, uh, you know, I just wanted to get through, like, if I could get through, like, six months and see what happens. And we're still kind of living that way in that in that world a little bit. But, like, I believe it when I see it. And we all know, like, in our industry, one of the sad aspects is I just kept my head down. I worked. And I think, Chad, as we, we would commis- not commiserate, but I think one of the things in our business, like, kind of like we're doing now, is, like, I was fortunate enough for my parents, like, they taught me to be vulnerable. They taught me to tell you when I was afraid. They taught me to tell you when things weren't good. And I think that was the thing, like, when Chad and I would meet up, it's even as the world around us, whether it was accolades, someone tells you you're God, someone tells you the devil, and you, you always know that you were somewhere in between, you were able to talk to someone that was in a position of, of daily and momentary accountability. And then how did you deal with it? How close would you stay to... You know, this is thankfully pre-Yelp and for me probably pre-fucking cell phone. But like even cooking with Chad now, I think the older we get, and Dave, you probably can feel this way too. You want to spend time with the people that you love and you respect. So if you're a musician, you want you want to be in the traveling wheelberries, I think. You want to play in a band or people that you want to maybe stand close up to hear Roy Elberson sing and Harrison play guitar or whatever. And not that I'm personally in any of those categories on what we do, but I definitely... You know, I saw this business as I was never the party, but I want to be fucking invited to that party. <laughs> you know, and uh, here we are. No one remembers Jeff Lynn and the Traveling Wilburys. Jeff he, Lynn, like, man, he had the best hair. Yeah, the man, he the always gets misrepresented. Yeah, that's true. Um, but like again, not to throw hyperboles, but what you described, and I know you guys in terms of your personalities, it is not a surprise that you are considered the best baker, the best pizza maker, right? Again. The best is a relative yeah. word, but you're always in consideration because you guys have never stopped trying to learn. Whether it's talking about tomatoes with you, olive oil. I mean, no one knows more about baking equipment and pizza ovens and ramen doughs and all this stuff than you. Like, if I need to know the most esoteric information about something, I'm pretty sure you two guys are the people that will know that. Well, maybe at least know somebody that knows something. And we just keep asking the question, you know, we never stop asking the question. Like we're developing this thing that we're not calling pizza that we're introducing. And it's really fun. I get to make this yeah. new thing with, with my good buddy, Bianco. And buddy. I think that's when, even that one thing like about doing pizza. I think even in the expectation of it, I mean, I'm very proud of my life that I made pizza. It's been super good to me. I try to be equally good back to it. You are the fucking OG pizza maker. I don't know. You really are. I remember eating eating at Avoce, the the first one in New York at the Beard Awards in like 2006 with you. And I was like, it's good that we get nominated. We can meet up in New York because I never see you, right? We're both working so much. And I mean, we never got to leave. I remember being on the bus with you one time. (laughs) We had a good time on the bus. But I think that's the, it's cool to stop and get moments, I think, with the people that you, you know, like I said, the musicians, musicians, you like, I wanted, I crave the, to this moment. I mean, I'm, I'm happy that my, my mom thinks what I do is pretty cool. I mean, it's, it's nice, you know, but I've always worked for, you know, I wanted the respect of my peers. I wanted somebody that says, like I would say, you tell me who I am. I can't tell you who I am. I know who I want to be to you or to my families, to anybody that I meet. But the ultimate is, you know, other people tell us how we affected them and their life. 100%. You know, so... I got two speeds, like, shut the fuck up or want you say something. <laughs> you know, it's like, you're really a middle, you know. Well, I mean, again, like, part of this, why I like having this pod is I can shower praise 
in a way that I hope people might not have heard. And it's not just a platitude that you read about or something. It's it's a rarity. You get two of the great people in their craft together, just not even on the spot, deciding to open a restaurant together, right? And the last thing of me blowing smoke up your asses is the fact that, to me, the greatest thing about street cred that we all really admire, whether publicly or secretly, is I call the shit-talking test, right? Like, Cooks, that's what we do. And if you're in a bar with your friends and you're talking about cooking, whatever name comes up, they always shit talk, right? <laughs> you two are on a really small elite group of, if someone said, hey, hey, I don't like Chad's bread or I don't like Chris's pizza, more often than not, everyone's gonna be like, what's your fucking problem, <laughs> right? Where's your, what the fuck is your problem? Like that is getting to the respect that is like so beautiful. I know myself is going to be a lot of shit talk. Uh, <laughs> yeah, 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 I mean, uh, that's the best, man. That's the truth. Try, I'm giving you real truth. Our, try to keep our side of the street clean. Right? Yeah, yeah. That's that's a big part of it. That's a rare place to be where people want to defend you, even if they don't know you. Right? They respect what you have done, how you've made it, and most importantly, like the history of how you got here. Like you left New York and opened up a pizzeria in yeah. Arizona. Yeah, it's pretty, you know, you know what though? I think there was a lot of, with that being said, I would love to say I had this divine plan or, you know, I mean, I love New York being born there, growing up there. It's, it's awesome. But I just know that I wanted to go somewhere else. It was that simple. And I think I always look at things as anything I do is a, is a study. And it's usually kind of self-serving in a way. So for me, it was just like, I didn't really know much. I know I wanted to leave. I mean, it was like, it was January. You know, I had asthma. It was trouble. So maybe out of the desert was better for you. And, you know, I'd never been anywhere. I didn't know every, anybody. Like my family, my cousin, the cousin that I didn't know was my cousin. Everybody's always around you. And so like to go somewhere like, I mean, not that I thought this at the time, but I'm still looking to gain perspective, even more than knowledge. You know, knowledge, I guess, is somewhat subjective, but the perspective that we gain, I think, helps us act appropriately. I used to be, when I was blessed to get a little bit of success, I was so caught up with, you know, never selling out, never being like that. Never, I don't want to be like that. I don't want to be like that. My own epiphany was like, fuck that. I found myself surrounded like covered wagons of all the things I didn't want to be or become. And I found it so detrimental to growth that the next day I said, you know what, from now on, all I want to do, the only things I'm going to spend any time energy on is shit that I want to be. And then the shit that I want to be will take care of itself. I work towards that now, just like kind of just seeing what, what I want and the other shit, all the other demons can. How'd you learn how to say no? Because everyone's offered you so much over the years to do more. Come here, do that. Yeah. Well, I think it's still difficult. I probably, and not that I ever did anything disingenuous or, or, or I just knew my limitations. Like back when people were throwing money around and, we see that that got a lot of got of things in the world. I just knew that, that what I had might not translate in the way that people would hope. And I think that there was a lot of personal growth I had to do. You know, I had a little health issue I was dealing with. I spent a little bit of time in England, you know, six years ago with Jamie. I did a project, which was, you know, after never leaving the oven for like 20 years, every shift I had to be there, touch everything. And, you know, I, I found that what is our role as we get older? The house of cards I built was ridiculous. And it was, I don't want to say self-serving. It, was, it, it wasn't even a plan to be self-serving. Just I didn't know what else to do but cook for you. Like, I wanted, like, the more 
like a little bit of attention I got, the more that I felt that I owed it to you to cook for you. I had like a rule I would never leave the kitchen. Like when people come in, no matter what, unless someone's on fire, I throw somebody out, which is very, very rare. But I wanted to, I wanted to cook for you. I wanted to cook for the lady I didn't know. I knew how I felt if someone that even from afar that you respected could do something was just like engage with you, even just nod your head at somebody. Like, you know, I was telling my staff, like, I've never been too busy to fucking say hello, ever. And I don't know, does that make sense? 100%. You, you can, Luckily, David Chang is a top-notch editing department. It's going to have his. No, man, it's like words of wisdom. It really is. No, yeah, I'm soaking it up. A similar thing, like when we opened our manufacturing in San Francisco two years ago, I went in and I was on the oven for six weeks every day by myself. And then my staff basically had an intervention. And they're like, Chad, we want to bake the bread. Like, what are you doing? And I was like, oh, I get it. You, you guys are here to, like, do this. So... I think it's gotten easier as we get older. It's gotten easier to sort of like edit ourselves, say no, take things off the plate. When is it okay if you're so fortunate enough to have a successful enough business that you can walk away? Because we're caught in a, a very strange place, predicament. If you don't do enough, people are like, eh, not ambitious <laughs> or whatever. You know what I mean? Like they're just sort of mailing it in. And if you do too much, ah. Uh, there's never at the kitchen anymore. Food could be better than ever, but the perception is uh, it's, it can't be good. For me, I always thought that the sports analogy in this always made the most sense. You know, you're Roger Clemens, you throw 104 miles an hour. You know, a lefty throwing, you know, 105 miles an hour, you strike everybody out, all of a sudden you're 35, and now you got to get crafty. And then all of a sudden you, your arm's sore and you get surgery and you're trying to hang on and and your mind is still bright and your, your passion for the game. But if you don't evolve to, whether it's third base coach, first base coach, pitching coach, broadcaster by the fucking team, I think you're not serving its greatest and highest good. I was telling Chef Cassie at Trotto, my restaurant yesterday, that one bit of advice, and I'm not big on like telling somebody advice. So the one thing I learned is if we put half as much time in finding the balance of a fucking vinaigrette, than we would in our life. Like, goddamn, maybe I need to sleep in. Or maybe I need to fucking, you know, drive across the bridge. Whatever I need to do. It's like, when do we get the same restraint and respect that it all costs it? Our dish gets, eat, 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 or, the, or the glass we got to clean, hold up, and boom, temperature. But our life, like, we're eating standing up late at night, listening to music on a shitty speaker, Vivaldi's playing in the fucking dining room. You know, our world's on fire. And then shit don't match up. And what does any of that mean? <laughs> I don't know. It's, There's it's, nothing left to say. You literally you just covered the entire modern day dilemma of being a chef. That was beautiful. Well, I, but I think that's in the opportunities we all know. With the things that I say, I've never invented a fucking dish. I don't think I've ever had an original thought that someone else never had. You know, like someone else was like, like when we're younger, we're like, you know, we're at some airport in Tulsa and we're layover and we're looking at somebody think they have no idea what, we, what we're going through, whatever it is. Well, shit, this dude's, oh, his wife just died? Oh, his fucking dog is sick? Oh, his, oh, yeah, me. And all of a sudden, his shitty gin and tonic tastes just like your shitty gin and tonic. And you start to figure things out, to look at people a little bit differently, that even though our dogs might be different, you know, cycles of life, that they're all going down. We're going to have to put them down one day. Where, where did you develop this wisdom, man? I mean, because the reality is you're saying, hey, we have to grow up stopping self-indulgent learn how to empathize and that we're not so fucking special. Everyone's in this together. And take care of each other. Yeah. I've learned in my life to let my, it's not a 
demons or anything like that, but I have definitely things. I have a very narrow list of qualities. I have a limited skill set, I should say. And I understand my limits. If I had to do the books, we close. If I had to do certain things, you know, <laughs> I love to drive, but if I don't, you know, keep my eyes on it, I can swerve. I've got, you know, I can leave the blinker on. Like, you, you got to know your faults so you can get people, I think, around you that, that allow you to do the things, allow you to be fantastic. Like, you know, and I think that's the one thing is like, you know, in the 80s, you know, everyone's like, oh, I make my own shitty, I make my own charcuterie, I make my own, raising our pigs, we're doing, it's like, yeah, man, the fucking dude over there has been doing it for 90 years, and <laughs> and now you can make a shitty ass charcuterie so you can tell everybody you made it, and like, everyone in the room just shit their pants, because we are not here to like instill our will over everything, I don't think. And one of the things that I love about having this camaraderie, whether it's you, you, or anyone that we're friends with mutually. And I think part of the thing is, while we probably see each other less or talk to each other less, I have no doubt in my mind that we're all on the same level here about what you guys want. We may do it differently. We may disagree. But ultimately, I think if you were like, hey, Dave, I got a problem. I have never experienced this before. And we've had these conversations before. I've called you from all over the world, both of you guys, and really key like pivotal times of my life. And yeah, it's like, we're in it, you know? And and to support each other. I've never been like, fuck you, dude. Like, hey, dude, that sucks. How can this happen to me? And it's something that I don't think we've quite realized or talked about is no one knows what to do. There is no template for success because we've only come out of these dark ages, not just of the cultural aspects, but the business aspects because no one gave a shit about it. Now, Overnight, we're expected to be Harvard Business School graduates that know contract yeah. and law, and I've done a whole course on human resource and how to talk to someone and yeah. so on and so forth. To be a modern-day chef today is probably the most, one of easily the most difficult jobs you could have to be good at it because you need to know more than just cooking now. You guys run empires. Yeah. How did that happen? Yeah, it's people. It's like, it's relationships. It's people. It's being there, being available, it's its very different. But you're thrust into growth. You're thrust into success. I mean, you are famously like, whether people realize or not, Chris Miak was famous, like, I'm not open. I'm not going to cook for someone if I'm not there. Yeah. And that changes. I changed. For me, That's that was the ridiculous house of cards that I built, where, where it was because I didn't have an idea. I never really liked, like, the idea from, like, I'm going to start out and just make Make pizza type run out. I never, I mean, people do it that I respect it, but I never fucking want to be like, I can make enough fucking dough. I'd rather have 20 pounds extra dough than like someone show up and say, God damn, I waited here for fucking two hours. Like, you know, and and that whole thing of what people like someday, like, you know, you finally get a minute to relax and, you know, you're, you're in some random bar or something and somebody said, they drink enough courage to tell you what you made them do. You made me wait three hours and you made me. And I'm like, well, man, I'm, first of all, I'm super grateful. Like, I know people that wouldn't wait three hours for a cure of cancer, never mind eating a restaurant. That's a bad analogy, but I'm... I'm <laughs> but, but point but, taken. But point taken, that's a bad analogy. Never funny. And not meant to be. But, like, some people just, like, wouldn't wait for anything. And what restaurateur would ever want fucking people to wait? Nobody. We I tell them my line was always this. Believe me, I want to take your money more than you want to give it to me. <laughs> I would love to take your money so bad. Now more than ever. You know, and, and it breaks my heart not to have a seat for you, you know. So though, even those kind of things, like, it's like, and it's not even a big deal until every day those things happen to you. And all of a sudden, what ha what's the effect of that? Ultimately, how we live our lives, you know, we're like the dog that keeps getting honked at crossing the road, you know, we're, we're 
And I think maybe the older we get, when we have conversations about it, and they're eerily similar situations of, of how do we deal with them, how we get through with them. And good we, luck with we all actually this. talk this way to our staff. Like we're we're so <laughs> open, and none of us came up in the industry like this, right? No, it feels like we're in new territory, but you can feel it. But that like our staff, like the young people that are coming on, a lot of them, I feel like no one's talked to them like this in life, and it feels good. I mean, it's what we all need, right? Overdue, overdue, and I'm. Totally guilty. I, I am a masochist, and I have weird nostalgia for the horrible pain and suffering that I've gone through. And in a non-excuse, I've inflicted by like because I was a shitty fucking manager, man. Like no one was oh, as bad here. as me, man. Same here. <laughs> yeah, I was. I was pretty bad. I mean, I'm. I'm still not a great manager. Of people, I put good managers so I can do things like. But I think what I enjoy doing is knowing that I try to. Like, there's been times in my life where people offered tough love and it was the last thing I needed. I just needed some fucking regular, you know, soft love or understanding. Or maybe, like, sometimes, you know, when your server breaks your best favorite plate, maybe you don't pick your head up. You know, maybe you talk about it when no one else is there. I said, dude, man, you're just moving too fast. You know, is everything cool? Instead of making it about the plate, you're making it about that doesn't seem like you. Or, or you know, like, like I, I say this, unfortunately, all the time, Chaz here, but... You know, 30 years ago, I go, what the fuck? Now go help me understand in any capacity. Doors locked, I shouldn't be, whatever. You know, this wasn't done. I made a list, whatever. It's like, man, what the hell? So-and-so, you know, got an accident on the way to work. I mean, so I think like starting out with that, like when we read something, like, you know, don't read just the soundbite or the heading, like delve into the, or maybe read the book, not just the, the back jacket that gets the story, maybe dive into it. And kind of like with food, it's like, with our young chefs, I'm always talking about the totality of the meal. Like if you consciously had, say, four courses and your thought was, I'm going to deny these motherfuckers because I'm going to hit them with the velvet hammer in the next course. I hope they don't tweet now, you know, because if they just submitted, maybe you were about to give them all they would hope for. But now they've shut down and, and it's hard to get back in there. So I think with younger, with younger chefs, they want to give you everything every time. Have you forgiven yourselves? Or accepted how you were a manager when you were younger? Or are you still like, man, that was just like, what? What was I doing? <laughs> I I mean, it's all kind of the same conversation, but like when I was younger, I wanted to be, I wanted to do this thing, I wanted to prove something, I wanted to work alone. And that that's that's so boring to me now to think about that, like just being alone, doing everything by yourself and claiming it. Like for me now, it's just like engaging and collaborating and building teams and and supporting people and like I can do a lot more with people, you know, with a team than I could do by myself. Yeah, I've been around a long time. So I'm just I feel like I'm like growing up. But that's what cooking is, man. You the best cooks are the ones that learn from their mistakes. And I've made every fucking kind of mistake and you try not to make it a second go round. Yeah, you, you know, say like you learn things when you burn things. You know, you don't really learn in the triumph. You know, you learn in that like where did this go wrong? You know, most most time to make the biggest impact. And um, for me, it was always about like, I look at if we're blessed to see, for us to look back and see our parents as adults, I think it's super helpful that you don't stop at 14 and you see your parents as that, those people. You start to see their struggle, their intention, whatever they went through as, you know, men or women instead of your parents. You said, shit, that must have been hard. And that must have been. So I think, 
I try to take the unintentional sins of my father, not that he had any sins at all. But if he did, I know him to be a good man. And I know that whether it was the time he was brought up or the time he was raised in the world, it might have been different. It's not about making excuses. It's about, I think, make, being realist. And then if there was something that was an unintentional sin, it's, you can either become it and use that for an excuse or just deny that and you grow from it. So I think all those things are equally relevant in the restaurant business. Like, man, I love Marco Pierre White back in the day and that, that whole thing. And I wanted to smoke in the kitchen. There was an aspect to that. It's, it's still kind of like punk rock and cool. And, and, but I think it had its, it has a time and its place. And I think, you know, uh, I mean, Mick Jagger's doing yoga, you know, like there's shit going on, you know, <laughs> you know, and, uh, and he can still dance. But um, Knowledge bombs. What do you think when you are, like when I hear your, your stories and I just know it, that this sort of perch that you can now look out on the world and understand, while not perfect, has a lot more empathy and understanding than there was in the past. But that is harder knowledge because of mistakes and, and time. Can you explain to me, because I would like to know, because I struggle with this daily, is when you see someone talented that acts a lot like yourself when you're younger, <laughs> how do you be patient without being overbearing parent? Uh, we've had a lot of that. We've had a lot of that in the last two years building this project. Um, I mean... No one tells you how to do this. No, no one tells you how to do it. It's surrounding myself with people like Bianco, good friends that that can speak to that, you know? It's having a lot yeah. of patience. I mean, yeah, I think I think it's it's a weird thing. And I mean, now with my kids at home, it's the same kind of thing. It's like, holy shit, these someone might be looking at me for some advice. You know, not that I'm in any position to give any, but if I was, I probably should think about something that might, you know, a mistake I made that maybe a speed bump they can avoid. Or, and I'm one of the great people in small doses, but I also know there's a tipping point. I really know when to leave the party. You know, <laughs> for that night, there's enough. And I think. I mean, I know myself in that way, so I, I imagine how I am in the world sometimes. So I'm very quick, like, with my team and our team, like, hey, trust me, however I'm talking to you, we don't need any more of me. We need more of you, whoever you are. And however you, this is the way that I, I communicate, for better or for worse. So I think when you find your voice and it connects to your heart and your intention, you go forward, you know? If you try to connect to, like, whether Mark Pierre White's or mine or Chad's or yours, it's, it's it's a slippery slope, and the shoe might not fit. And if it does, you know, you might not be able to sprint the way you. you I think you, that's you, an important thing you're you're hitting on. It's not that, you know, we're older and wiser, and we're imparting this. I mean, there's a little bit of that, but it's more like I'm I'm learning from Bianco every day about this, and it's we're engaging the younger people. We're engaging the people that are working with us. It's like we want more of you, and you know, that's kind of new territory for me too. But once we start engaging. What comes out of people, what comes back is not what I expected. It's like a lot. It's way more than I expect comes back. And then you have a whole different relationship and it's powerful. You guys are both parents. What happened later for you, right? Happened later for me. I got three now. I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm almost a real grown up now. I said, but I got three. Yeah. You I give me like, hope. Like, I was like, man, like, I'm probably dude, on the late, I, late side. Dude, I, I was 49 or whatever. I had a kid and uh, 50. Now I got three and they're. I never really felt the need to procreate. It wasn't like I needed to do anything, but I, I finally, and that same thing, even since it's only the three of us talking and stuff, we can, I can get super personal. The other thing I think is chefs. We're so sometimes consumed in our life. We, like, you know, like I was saying before, we forget that 
the things that we need. And I think when you learn what you need from anything, it becomes easier, whether that's a soulmate, you know, a partner. And ultimately, I think there's a better opportunity when you're able to, you know, be the best version of yourself, your partner's the best version of themselves, and you have a kid. Um, not that they all can't be great in other situations, but I think it, it gives us the best opportunity. I would say, like, whether it's our staff or our kids, it'll serve them better to witness love than be loved. Like, like when you're a kid, man, you, you know, your grandma's, you know, like, come on, man, squeezing your cheek. Your mom gives you a kiss and you just kidding. You know, dad came home from a fishing trip, whatever. You make a beeline for you. And ultimately, I think what we want, same like our, at work. I mean, we want to see, like, our team get along. Not because, like, hey, man, you know what? People will probably be pretty nice to me and Chad for the most part. You know, you're out and it's like, you know, you're with somebody. Oh, this guy seems all right. All of a sudden, they berate the waiter because he said no ice. And you're like, fuck, man, this dude's about to go off. And this, you know, and, and so I think it's, you know, watch how other people, how people treat other people. And I think for us, with our team, I think we treat each other with great respect. And, and you know, first, you know, it's like, you're on the plane, put the mask on. You can breathe. Well, now you can take care of your crew and you can get by off the you know, into the dinghy there. But what you just brought up, I think, was very hard for me to learn, is I use that example a lot. Put in the, the if you're in an airplane, airplane, the oxygen mask, you got to do you first before you help someone else. That's correct. And I think I've been struggling so hard to be like, how do I be better? I know I have to be better, but I don't know how, right? And as I've gotten older, it's been, I think, better, but like, I still got so much room to go. I got an idea. I got an idea. This is it, I think. Is I think if you ask people how you make them feel, I think that is really the the way into anything. Like, I could send you heart emojis every fucking day, smiley faces and a, exploding balloons. But if you if I make you feel like shit in, in, the, in the flesh and blood or in that moment, it's confusing at best. So I think a lot of times at work, oh, man, I'm a fucking chef, man. He... Like he threw, like he, you know, he threw my dish against the wall. He berated me, told me, I, you know, he just like had five resumes on the desk during our conversation. Uh, but the next day, he got me this really cool chef knife, and so we must be cool, you know. So I think there's a lot of confusion, and sometimes in relationship, whether personal or work, that you just want to go, hey man, what am I to you of anything? How do I make you feel? Am I a burden? Am I not? And then most times in life, I found that most things aren't about us. Like someone's in a bad mood or something, you know. We take everything so personally. So sometimes I get in a minute, even with whether it's your boss or your, you know, but anybody, and just say, "Hey, man, you're all right." And I think you know things can become powerful instead of spilling our guts to them. Or you know, I mean, I'm talking now. I mean, a lot, unfortunately, but I've listened a lot. It's like kind of watching bread rise or dough rise. You know, it's a lot of silence. There's a lot of time to wait. And then it's game on. It's all hands on fucking deck. Or just boom, we're all, you know, during prep and all of a sudden flip the sign. It's like game on, game face, service, you know, all in agreement and on the line, bring the pain. It's hard to adjust sometimes to real life in that way because it doesn't work the same. Has being a parent, I mean, have you gotten to be better parents as you've gotten older? <laughs> right? And, and the question I guess I really want to ask you too is, do you think that being a better parent equates to being a better chef and vice versa, right? Ooh, like man. how you learn to be a better parent has made you a better chef and vice versa. You take that one first. <laughs> um, 
it's a struggle. I've my wife and daughter just arrived yesterday. We've been open for a week. I called my daughter this morning and I'm like, "Can I come over there in Santa Monica? I'm going to go see them." Yeah, it's hard. I'm I'm definitely a workaholic, and balancing that with being a parent again, it's like a lot of it's in my head. Like I'm thinking I'm not around enough. I'm not this. I'm not that. And thankfully, my daughter doesn't really hold that against me. She wants time, but it's like. We've got our kids, our families, and then you got to take care of all your staff, and it's a lot of. And your wife's like one of the great chefs out there too. Like, yeah, how, how, do, how... <laughs> it's very complicated. You know what Bianca said? It's just it's trying to find a balance, but it's not like something you can say. I found the balance, and that's done. It's literally like day by day. Yeah, man. It's you know, kids for me. I mean, I think hey, if I had them when I was twenty or whatever, I would have did what I did and. I mean, I would have did the best I could, like we all do in any situation. You know, we talk about, oh, I'm not ready. Well, fuck, man, you're never ready. I mean, really, when it comes down to it. I mean, rarely we really, truly ready, whether it's, you know, opening day for a restaurant, we're out of money, we got to open. I mean, the things that push us at the end of or into something, I should say. If you're not a restaurant owner, you have no idea what you just said and what that means. <laughs> we're out of money. Yeah. We well, can't you know, open up, but we have to yeah, open up. Yeah, we got up. to. Like, you know, man, we're like, you know what? Just, just hang a, yeah, just hang, just hang a picture over that wallpaper we couldn't put on right now or something. But with kids, for me, it's been really helpful. Getting married when I was a little bit older, getting having kids when I was definitely older. It's a weird thing. Like, they're really teaching me a lot about the volume to speak at. Like, you know, it's always like you could have the antidote to something, right? I know where the answer, but if you are incapable to administer that, it's a fucking puddle. You know, like, you got to say, how am I going to get this? to this now six-year-old, five-year-old to relate to what I'm saying. Man, they're not ready for that. They might not even like me right now. That's cool. You know, just like, you know, just like the same thing like I was talking about in uh, tasting menu. It's like, I might be at the second course that, you know, I thought I would just do these raw carrots, you know, with, with, with whatever. And whatever they did, they just didn't move the diner at that point. The five-year-old might not be moved by your fucking joke about the Flintstones. I don't know what they are. You know, so I think that, with kids and with staff, hopefully we get the opportunity to hammer hang long enough that they see what we meant. And we know that, you know, I go back always to the intention. My intention is truly good. I've found there's a greater leeway to, you know, an idiot or I do something stupid, but I intended, you know, so I think there's a lot of just simplicity with, you know, with children, our pets even, they give us a good example how to, how to live in the world, you know, like, they, you know, our family lets us work a lot of things out, like our, our siblings before growing up or our friends, you know, and as we get close in the world, we just find these like now macro families that are dysfunctional and the world's dysfunctional. And our, so we I think we just, you know, we figure out how we can function, not maybe whatever, all due respect to Dr. Phil or whatever, but, you know, <laughs> you still got to do your thing, you know, the way, the way it works for you. And like whatever your relationship was with whatever, if it's working, I'm down with it. Pretty sure, Chad, he could start a pretty big cult slash church. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm in it. I'm, 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 I'm it a member. Oh, oh man. man. Tell you. No, one, thing, one thing I would say, like— You definitely have donuts after. <laughs> running restaurants, being a chef, like, it, you have to deal with, you know, such a spectrum of everything all the time. It really prepares you for being a parent. But at the same time, the irony is it, it takes you away from your family more, you know? Do you think that— you guys have spent so much time perfecting your craft, trying to be the best possible 
uh, at whatever you're making. That it's almost like um, you go out of space and you come back and you don't know anything else other than what you've done. Everyone's gone on with their lives. They've learned other things. You know, Dan Juicy on Instagram the other day is like, hey, I went to the museum the other day and I felt like a fucking idiot because I had no <laughs> idea what anyone was talking about because all I thought was learning how to saute this, roast this is what mattered. And then when you come back to earth, you're like, whoa, I literally went in a time machine and I don't know anything anymore. Well, that's an awesome truth right there. But I think the one thing, I mean, we're, you know, people are listening and we're talking about our business and our food, but if the mics weren't on, we might talk about them for a minute or so, but I think that we talk about, like, you know, the Chris Cornell show a couple weeks, whatever. We talk about things that are either music or these fucking sneakers or whatever, stupid shit that you would talk about when you were 15, and we get back to that. So I think that there's a, definitely a time and place to, to figure shit out, and there's a time and place just to, yeah, just with people that you can trust, that you can say, like, imperfect things. I mean, not questionable things, but you don't, you don't have to edit every fucking thought like you're sending a mass tweet or something out. You're just saying, man, what do you, what do you think about this? Or am I fucking crazy? Cause this is what I'm going through. It's like, we, we don't have to be perfect in every relationship. I think we just got to be honest and transparent and take what, what comes after that. I mean, it's just, um, but how do you, how do you find the time? How do you find the time, Chad, to like soak in anything that's not your job? You know, that, that's, that's the, thing that I'm enjoying the most about being in this new city with so many people and making new friends and going to the museums. I'm thinking I'm going to go to the planetarium, take my daughter to the planetarium tomorrow. And I mean, same thing with opening at Tartine in, in South Korea. It's just, it's just the opportunity to go and learn, learn from different people in different places. And um, how do I find the time? It's, yeah, there's not much time. When I see you work, I'm like, fuck. Chad's got all this shit going on. Like, how's he have the time? And then people are like, how do you have the time? I was like, oh, I never really thought about yeah, that. for you, yeah. yeah. No, we just, we just kind of, we're just going, right? All yeah. the time. It's like, I say about my partner, it's like he sleeps with his <laughs> eyes open, you know? Yeah. He does. Let's say when you're sitting in the back of your, you know, your, your parents' uh, station wagon, you know, it's still inside, but the world's flying by at 74 miles an hour. You know, it's, it's, it's a blur. I think, I think in our own world, it's no matter how crazy it is, it's still your craziness. It's somewhat you're someone in control of it. And one of the things that we talk about a lot, like, you know, sometimes, you know, Chad will just send me like an album title or, or, or a song or like, or a chair, you know, like I sent him a chair this morning, like, you know, nothing to do with the restaurant. It's like, oh, it's a cool website for a chair. You know, like, like, cause it's ergonomic and it, it doesn't fucking break. And so I think when you find people that dig cool shit, like, you know, they get, like I would say, if they get it, if you dig in, there's probably, it's, it's interesting to see the onion. You know, as you peel, it's like, holy shit, yeah, me too. And, you know, the, it's interesting to talk about what bands you like and, like, architecture. And, like, those things, like, when we build restaurants, I mean, most of us, we started out with no money. We couldn't afford the biggest high-profile architect and designer and Philippe Stark and this and that. The other thing was like, oh, man, that light might be cool here. The table's dark, you know, move, you know. I think we, we, we've we all worked from a position of having to figure it out. And then later, as we, as we go through, we're able to work with, like, really talented people that all of a sudden do all the tables. Well, this is a round table, but if it was a corner, like we all got one and it's easier to move a little bit. And and I think even with all the shit we got going going on, I find myself having the most free time in my life. You know, like, do you feel bad taking free time? Fuck no. No, never. No, I used to not now. No. Like, why aren't you in, why aren't you baking bread? Why aren't you in service? What the fuck? Here's the thing is I have a lot of things to prove. 
and I also know that if I stood in front of the oven like I did for 23 and a half hours a day, and you came in that 24th and you said, oh, I went, man, I, I keep showing up and you're never there. I'm like, dude, I was there. You keep coming at the 430 when I fucking lay down in the tree. And that kind of insanity was the world that I lived in. So now is 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 like everything that we do, I think, is is really a test of our fucking mortality. Like we grew up in a world, I grew up in a world where other things died. Old people died. A chicken didn't die. It just laid down on them at the supermarket and just got wrapped in plastic, you know. But as we get older, we call it, God damn, man, like Mrs. Sisto, you know, snapped the chicken in the bathtub and killed it. And now it's making chicken cacciatore. It's game on. You know, like you, you start to learn how this all works. You know, there's a cost to it. But you understand, but the world at large still doesn't, right? You, well, you said earlier, Chris, you were like, you know, how, how do I get out of my own way? Yeah. And both of us, I think we've, we've built some sort of infrastructure of some thing that we make, that we made for 25 years or whatever. And my biggest hope is that the people that, the teams that we build, the young teams that we build can make it better. I mean, they can, they can take whatever I did and make it better. And I, I'm blessed if I get to see that and if I get to be a part of that. And that's how we're approaching this whole project in LA. And it feels good. It feels like a, a really good yeah. place to be in. We'll be right back after a word from our sponsors. Today's episode of The Day Chang Show is brought to you by Great Jones. Great Jones is a startup that makes high-quality cookware that's beautiful and affordable. Their pots and pans heat evenly, are perfectly weighted, and have comfortable handles that don't get hot. It all looks great, too. If you want to upgrade your kitchen tools without spending a fortune, I highly recommend Great Jones. Their products start at $45, and a whole set costs $395. I'm excited that they're making high-quality cookware more widely accessible. I received my order of Great Jones a few months ago, and I love using them. My wife does, too, because they're not nearly as heavy as some of my other stuff. I love the Duchess, which is their... Dutch oven and that's my go-to for a lot of braises and soups. I love the big deal because that's my pasta cooking pot. Uh, use it at least three or four times a week. The saucy, which is light. And again, one of the good things about Ray Jones is my wife has always complained that some of my pots and pans that I've used are too heavy and too industrial. So she loves the Ray Jones because they're sleek and they're light and they work very well and they evenly distribute heat. And the saucy is my go-to for cooking lentils and small beans and oftentimes just ramen macaroni and cheese the deep cut i use for sauteing or pan roasting steaks and the small fry that's my breakfast go-to for eggs and tortillas in the morning spanish tortilla i use them all the time they're really great and i think the company is fantastic so check it out go to greatjones.com and use the code chang c-h-a-n-g and check out for 25 dollars for your next order go to greatjones.com and use the code chang at checkout for $25 off your next order. And now, back to the show. How do you deal with the pressures from people saying like, hey, you should be in the kitchen. Why are you opening up so many tartines? Why, you know what I mean? What are you doing in LA? It's like last night I worked service. Yeah, I was filming Ugly Delicious from 7 a.m. to like 2.30. And then I'm at Major Dome, I work service, and I leave at like 9.45. And... A customer comes in and I leave through the back through the, and they're going to the bathroom like, oh, early night. And I wanted to say something not nice. Yeah. 
my look was definitely to them. They understood that, like, but now they're probably going to go home. Yeah. And I imagine going on Yelp or something and say, like, oh, food sucked when he, whatever, whatever. <laughs> I was like, no, it probably sucked because I got there and I made people make yeah. me nervous. I don't know. Yeah. You know, I did, I did hear that from, I did hear that from someone. Like, like t- Chad, like, your bread's not as good when you're not making it. Shit. Yeah, well, that's that's just not true. I mean, pizza's yeah. not as good when you're not making yeah. it. But that's also, if people say like, you know, they see me, you know, uh, running around meeting with lawyers or business people or investors or whatever, and saying, you know, is Chad even a baker anymore? And I'm like, um, that's like one <laughs> fraction of what I am. Like, um, if you're not okay with that. That's a different conversation, but you know, yeah, I'm a baker, but at the same time, when I worked by myself for 10 years and, you know, slept in two, four hour shifts and all that, it's like, I don't want to go back to that. It was great. I wouldn't, I wouldn't change it, but I don't want to go back to it. You know, I want to keep, I want to keep evolving and learning. And going back to those times when you were baking bread, right? Like, I mean, how I did lo- you, how did you even get there? You're from Texas. Yeah. And then uh, let's do the brief. How the fuck did you get here in under two minutes? You know, I was I was cooking and I was at Culinary Institute with the dream of becoming a chef. And I visited a baker that was making in, in 1990. That was making. And did America give a shit about bread in 1990? Not. No. There were like two people that did, you know, one on the East Coast, one on the West Coast. And, and I read. There was a there was a loaf of bread on the cover of a Smithsonian magazine, Poilon loaf. Yeah, I remember that. And I was like, and then I tasted this panola van that was being made in Massachusetts, and and I was like, I need to do this. You know, I, I need to learn how to do this. That the first time I tasted really good bread in my life was when I was twenty years old, and then I said, I need to learn how to make this. And yeah, there weren't many people making good bread, and definitely not in Texas when I, where I was growing up. So. Yeah, the day the day that I met this baker, Richard Bourdon, I decided to become a baker. And then again, it's like that was 10 years of my life. And you know. And who's Richard Bourdon? Richard Bourdon is a baker in Housatonic, Massachusetts, that was a classical French horn player. And then he tasted good bread in the 80s somewhere and said, There's not like this doesn't exist. I need to learn. There needs to be more of this. I need to learn how to do it. And he became a baker. And so we kind of had a similar story. And then you went to Europe? I went, yeah, I went, Richard was my mentor. And then I went to learn from his mentor. So I tracked down his guys. He helped set it up. But one guy in the south of France, Daniel Collin, and then one guy in the in the Alps, uh, Patrick Laporte. And I learned from those guys. And I uh, learned from a guy named Dave Miller, who's makes beautiful bread in, in Chico, outside of Chico, California. And and what I do now, or what Tartine is now, is is, you know, all of my favorite parts of what I learned from from those guys, from from the mentors. And if you had to say, like, well, and you started Tartine when? Uh, well, we opened we opened in the wood fired oven in Marshall, where where Bianca and I first met in '95, I think, and then we opened Tartine in San Francisco in 2002. So it's been like 17 years, 16, 17. What were you trying to prove when you opened up in 2002? Like, what was like, I got to get this fucking shit off my chest? Yeah. No, there was totally that. I was working alone. I was doing all the viennoiserie and the bread by myself and definitely, like, 
ridiculous, almost died. Because they were stories of like, hey, there's this guy. I was sleeping at the bakery. I mean, it was urban I, legend shit. Yeah, no, I mean, it was it was great. It was a great time. I, I wouldn't have survived unless I was young and could could handle that. But yeah, I would never go back to it now. It's like the whole idea of being, you know, solo and doing everything by yourself is just not it's just not interesting to me anymore. Because I realize because I'm older. Um, and I learned a few things um, from making a lot of mistakes that I can I can realize a lot more of the vision and the dreams in my head if I'm working with other people. And when you opened up Tartine and you and you're you know became this sort of iconic figure in America, right, amongst people that cared about food, what was it for those that don't know or never had your bread early on or even had Tartine to begin with? Um, what was it that you were trying to like say with your bread? What were, what was it that you were doing different too? That your style? Uh, you know, it's I mean, one of the quotes, and there's among millions from Bianco, is what makes good food good. And this is something I ask myself all the time: like, what makes good food good? What makes good bread good? Like, if you have a loaf of bread and you say that's an amazing loaf of bread, then I would say, what's amazing about it? Like, tell me some details. And for me, it's like, it's the contrast between the crust and the crumb, the caramelization, the open textures, the, the uh, depth of flavor from a long fermentation. And so, you know, it's, it's like when I sort of had in my head the thing that I liked the most about bread, which is all those things I just said, and then to focus and, and try to amplify all that stuff, you know, as much as I possibly could. And that's every day. That's what we do every day after, you know, 20 years, 25 years. We have, you know, now we're working with farmers and millers in Oregon, Washington, uh, grain breeding programs. I've got the best flour I've used in my life and I've, I've baked all over the world. And like, I'm really thankful and, and uh, thankful and fortunate that we can we can keep improving after all these years just by getting deeper and deeper into like the relationships from the end-to-end -end supply chain of what we're the ingredients we're working with i mean again highest compliment i can give it's hard for me to describe because i'm not an expert in bread but i do know flavor and i can recognize techniques and and the lineage but you've arguably influenced bread globally you know no one's done it more than you over the past 20 years. I mean, your acolytes are all over the world now. They are all making some, their DNA is Robertson tartine bread. You know, the, the coolest. How does that feel? That's the, fucking crazy. The coolest, Literally. The coolest thing about that, and, and I do see it when I travel, is, is that, like, for me, the biggest compliment is when someone takes takes something that that I put out there that me and Tartine, our team, has put out there and then they take it to another place, you know, and I get, I get, it comes full circle and I get inspired by, I mean, it happened in Korea. When we went, went into Seoul the first time, uh, just kind of researching where we were going to be, I came back to San Francisco and I said to my team at Tartine, I'm like, our biggest competition in Seoul is going to be people that are making bread from our books and they're doing it really, really well. Like, and... <laughs> That's all kind of by design. Like you put your stuff out there and if if you put a good recipe, like a real recipe, which we did, and then people start making it, they're going to make it as good as you at some point and they're probably going to improve, I hope, and then it's going to push us. And that's that's exactly what's happened. Again, I don't 
think if you're not of the food world, you may not understand the influence and impact you've had on bread making. It's fucking insane. To, I, I travel all over the world. I'm like, oh, that's someone must have read your book or more than likely spent some time working with you and you can see it. It is such a distinct thing and I'm not good at articulating. I just know it. So that's a fucking amazing thing to have and to see. So I, I love I, it. I think, I mean, one of the things like I can't take credit for all that, the, the thing, I mean, I feel like people are taking up making bread for the same reasons that I like devoted my life, big part of my life to it. It's a meditative grounding, connect you to the earth kind of thing to do. Are you worried about people that have copied you or, cause like, I mean, I sort of seen this with Momofugo. I was like, shit, like there was a stretch. Well, we got pretty lazy. Cause I was like, well, we're ahead of the curve. And then I was like, hmm, like seven, seven years ago. I was like, wait a second. Some of the people that are influenced by us are doing it just as well or better. Like we got it. We got it. I actually love that. I love that. When that happens, it's, you know, it's like, it's like a fire and you know, it's like a fire in my belly. It's good. <laughs> I, I totally welcome it. Yeah. Cause what's going to separate you versus the youngsters? Uh, the youngsters, those are my people now. They're, yeah. they're, <laughs> I need them, you know? But like other, because bread making is great now, right? It does bum me out when people uh, make something and they don't, and they don't, you know, it, it bums me out when people rewrite history. Uh-huh. <laughs> and they, uh, they don't, they don't say, and trust me, if someone makes it better than me, I'm going to say, you're making that better than me. Like, bravo. It's amazing. Um, but yeah, that's, that's just like, I'm a, I'm like a very loyal person. I always like to like give credit where credit's due, but I also fully expect people to take whatever I put out there and and like take it further than me. I hope. And going to Chris, probably whether you realize it or not. Again, you just said, "Hey, I'm I've never invented or said anything original." I understand that statement, <laughs> but weirdly, you are widely copied and imitated as well. And how did that even happen? How the when you moved to why 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 Arizona besides being good for your breathing? Like how, uh, why not like go further west? Well, even that. Well, uh, some of the some of the realities were economic. Uh, you know, Arizona was was a was a cheap place to live, and there was a you know I think there was just something. It was as far away. Like I've been to Italy when I was thirteen, and I I went again when I was like eighteen, and spent some time there. But other than that, like I've been in Connecticut at that time, Ohio, um, Vermont, and Montreal. Like that was my whole like view of the world. And uh, I think was saying I was saying earlier, it was like my my search in life is is to gain this perspective, like to find like you know find the altitude you know with the least amount of turbulence, so I can really see what's going on. So I think not not that there was turbulence back in New York or things like that. But I think that, um, I think at some point in your life, you, you need to go as far as you can and, and, and start walking back to your even unintended destination and just see where you stop. And why'd you settle on piece pizza? Well, I think for me, it was something that, you know, and I love when I, I did open up in 88, like, uh, people say, oh, I love your concept. I'm like, well, what the fuck is a concept, even? I don't even know. It's like, if I grew up on a pig farm and I made bacon, I probably would make, you know, be making breakfast. But I think as I got older and, you know, I I mean, I left school early. I left, I'm not proud of it, but I dropped out of school in 10th grade. I went to work. 
I mean, I was, you know, I washed dishes in Captain Paul's, uh, you know, seafood house and um, worked some other kitchens, worked for a catering company, um, uh, banquet halls at a, a hotel. And um, and then I started um, on my own, like really take something that was, I, I knew how to make, you know, pedestrian pizza. You know, I make, I make okay pizza, but but there was something that, like, like when I came to Arizona, I wanted to, um, I mean, I, I'm in my early, you know, 20s, 21, whatever. And I, I wanted to, I didn't know, I didn't know anybody didn't have a job. I, I started making like mozzarella and pasta out of my apartment. And it was a couple restaurants, uh, one still open that hit uh, Avanti in, Scotts, in Scottsdale that I would bring pasta from like mozzarella and, you know, they pay me cash and like, you know, for me, it was a decent, you know, it was like, I was, that was, it was pretty cool. I mean, I mean, if I got busted, that like, how much time could I do? <laughs> Which is my, was my thing. So I started a little business. I started a little catering business. So I'll speed this one up. It's not that interesting, but I started a little catering business. I would like cook at people's homes and I'd bring my little possum, you know, little roller and you know, I'd bring the flour and eggs and I'd make, like, if you're really bored, like, and you couldn't entertain yourself, like the idiot, like me would show up and I'd knock out some pasta like in the happy hour part of your meal. And, I, you know, if you, all the misfits that didn't want to talk to their significant others would talk to me while I was making pasta for them. And these were little dinner parties I did. And, uh, and then I would also do like these pizza parties, more like kind of like, kind of like grandma style pizzas in, in, uh, in the houses, also parties. And I did this one uh, event for this guy named, French guy named Guy Coscas that I was doing a, a party for. And at that time, he just bought, in 87, he just bought this grocery store, um, it was Ranch Market, but he had the idea to change it to, you know, I think he went to New York and might have walked through Balducci's and wanted to do, like, something, you know, like, so he did this place called the Euromarket. It was basically just a grocery store, you know, but it, it, had, it was called the Euromarket, and he was from Europe, so it sounded pretty legit. And um, and uh, so he says, hey, I'll, I'll give you free rent. If you make, you know, make peach in the corner, there's 300 square feet in that corner. There was an orange, there was an orange juice stand in there. And um, I knew a dude that was importing with Bernie Elmans at the time. I still know him, Renato. Uh, um, and uh, seven grand for the oven. I borrowed seven grand from everybody I knew. And, um, um, and um, I put a pizza oven in the back of this grocery store and I was Pizza Bianco's started. And, and uh, then later on in 94, I, I opened up a sit-down restaurant, my first sit-down place. And, um, you know, it's it's something that, like, today, like, when people say, oh, you know, I remember used to, you know, used to make every pizza. And and and, and even though I did all those, I, I did do a lot of those things, you know, like, in, in 1996, my brother moved out from New York, and he's been making the dough on my bread ever since. He still makes it for all the restaurants on, um, in Phoenix. But I had, uh, I I just had, I got to the point where, um, you know, I I didn't really like set out to do anything else except that I wanted to take something that would help me be accepted in a way, you know, not as a chef, not as anything, just as a fucking human being with a job, you know, and I, and I wanted it in, like I, I like to do with anything, like if it was a bicycle or something else, like 
You know, like sometimes I disappoint pizza people, sometimes like super hardcore pizza people, because fuck, I love pizza, but I don't love it more than the other shit that I love. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> like I love it, but I love what I love about it. It's the same thing as I love about bread or pasta or, I mean, if, if it's of like now we're able to affect like hundreds, thousands of acres of grain that was commodity grain maybe 10 years ago or fucking AstroTurf or, well, I mean, not AstroTurf, but sod for some shitty fucking condos or something like that. <laughs> Now these farmers have an alternative to say, if you guys grow this Edison wheat or this Yucora Rojo, that, you know, it's, the yield is slower, but it's an amazing, not just taste good, but the nutritional values are off the fucking charts. That's what, like today, like, you know, like I wanted to make something delicious, of course, when I was younger. I'd use the best ingredients, when I, you know, that I could, which meant, you know, you know uh, there was a lady, Bernice, back in 88 that I met in the grocery store and she grew basil and arugula for me. And uh, she had, you know, uh, peaches and apples that grew on her little farm in South Mountain. And um, and then the whole, just the integration of, you know, like a lot of us were just fascinated what was going on in Chez Panisse at the time of, you know, of, you know, whether it was fr- from Alice or uh, Jeremiah Tower or like all of a sudden all this influence was coming in where uh, even John Louis Palladine, like in, in like now in Virginia, then we used local lamb. In the in the in the mid '80s, or you know, we said Watergate, you know, and that made it a, a, an effect on me, which was, you know, is it was really like even what I do today, people say, "Oh, do you make Italian food? You, you know, your authentic pizza." I'm like, well, as soon as you change zip codes, it becomes an homage to it, an homage to your intent to that intention, like. Like I'm not bringing the water. I'm 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 just trying to do something. A. That so is, what kind of pizza were you making? Though? Well, then I was making just the same pizza that yeah. I made now. But like, I, why I, was but, it so different? I, I think, think if it, you you should talk. I think if you talk about your tomato business yeah. a little bit, that that's that like kind of illustrates uh, your whole philosophy and and in an action. You and, and you can talk shit. <laughs> please talk shit about the other tomatoes. No, no, no. <laughs> well, here's the thing. I'm gonna say about it. This is the thing. Again, when I you can say, talk about tomatoes, I'm, I can talk, I'm, I'll just I'll do quick on it. But but it's saying just like in wheat, like in what Chad said before, like my whole life is just a study. Like for me, it's not it's not gospel, and there's no judgment for anybody that has another way. But for me, you know what I found, and, and Chad just brought it up earlier. But what I found, and I, and probably if you think about it, I bet this has happened to you as well. People could, you know, you know, oh my God, that was amazing. It was it was great, and people said. Yeah, yeah, I went there, man. It was, it was good. It was good, you know. And or, I didn't really get it, or and I find on both of those cases, if you just interject, well, what did you love about it, or what didn't you really love about it? It really sets people aback. Then it might be tuned into something else. Oh, they didn't like anchovies. Well, of course it fucking sucked. <laughs> so instead of saying like with my chefs when they go out, I'm like, really? Oh, you didn't like that place? It sucked. Like maybe it's gonna make you feel better or something like that instead of like what what do you oh you didn't get the table you wanted or what 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 are you interjecting now that they got in your way that now starts these these whispers or or things that um that become like uh uh, uh yeah bad winds and uh um yeah so I mean I wanted to do something on the on you know I just took it apart where it didn't really look. It didn't really not look like other pizza so much. Um, but I just tried to, like, the balance I was looking for in my life, I just tried to put it, you know, if I didn't know how much cheese I was supposed to put on, how much would it take? If I didn't know the cooking temperature, what would it be? If I knew how long it took, 
maybe I took it as long as it takes for me to get it what I wanted. So like for me, like instead of saying, well, VPN says it's 64% hydration. This is the fermentation time. It's, it's, it's 900 degrees. Well, but where? Because I find over 750 at floor temp doesn't give me a flavor profile that I enjoy. It might be too acrid for me. Not that you never wouldn't dig it, but I'm not, you know, on leopard spots, I like leopards, but you know, you know, but I want more of, you know, a, a, I'm looking for more of a, just a bread like quality for my taste. You know, it's like, you know, um, uh, so I want something that's in balance. And so when we look at whether it's the, the grain varietals, we can affect farmers. When I, about 12 years ago, when, um, my partner on tomatoes, Rob DiNapoli, came in with his, his tomatoes. He's, you know, third generation Californian, Italian-American. Like many Italians, went to Sac Valley to, you know, to, to, to grow tomatoes in the, you know, 30s and 40s. And, um, and he had a product and it was, it's, it's very good. Um, uh, and he came in at that time. I was like, I was like, hey, man, you know, um, you know, he came in. I opened them up. I tasted them. I said, these are very good. But. Like for me, he didn't have the information that was important for me. Really, what farmer they were from, like, you know, the viscosity of the pack was too tight. Like, you know, there was some calcium chloride that made them really firm, which in the 60s and 70s, like when they did cuttings or there's just a space in the can that was important. That you could go to an owner of a restaurant and you go, look at this tomato. It feels just like a fresh one, firm, and you can slice it. Well, fuck, that's, that's not what this is. It's not a fresh tomato. It's, it's a, it's a, a tomato picked at the peak of ripeness and now suspended for us to use on not when you, when you're not capable to harvest something from your backyard or you're able to appropriate it um, for a you know, ragu or, or a tomato sauce or a pizza sauce or a pasta sauce or whatever. So the one, one thing I, 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 you know, our relationship went for another year or so uh, just talking and, and he, he said, well, would you consider maybe doing something to help me see what, would be important to you. And oh, I said, well, I don't, I don't really want to put my name on anything, but I would help you develop something and we'll see what happens. And like that next year, we did trial testings in Hollister where he had some land and, and we looked at some varietals, which to me, one of the big things was the varietal, I don't want to say it wasn't as important, but what was the most important really, in my, my opinion for me, was the Tuar, was the earth that it grow in, was... Um, uh, you know, the flavor profile was looking for. And if, you know, there's 1,400 varieties of tomatoes and they were discovered in Chiapas, Mexico, why couldn't in California have as good as, as good as the best? And those were my things, the way I looked at, like being a kid and growing up in New York and San Marzano and the best. And, they're, and, the, and when they're great, they're the best. They're great. As good as the best in, in Italy, whatever. Awesome. Or, or in Spain, same thing, you know, when they're, when they're great. You know, whether you're in Loire Valley or in Willamette Valley or Napa Valley, it can be good wine. So why isn't it that way with tomatoes, with terroir and time and temperature and, you know, getting the right varietal so it'll, it'll fruit quickly and set quickly so you can avoid either drought or, or rains at the end of season that will maybe give you, you know, um, bottom end rot or, um, you know, bring, uh, uh, you know, an infestation or something to the fruit. Like when you get smart people involved, like we brought a farming partner, a guy named um, Scott Parks, Parked Organics, been growing organically since the 70s. And he helped me with a part of like, well, why even organic? Well, well, like, and 
his answer to me helped me in a lot of ways, which was the way I see a lot of things, which is he said about 1981, he just stopped getting stung by bees and he stopped turning the shovel and seeing worms. And he knew something was different. So whether it was climate change or whether it was whatever the fuck you want to call it, he knew some shit was not as it should be. There was something out of kilter. And, um, and then moving to organics and then beyond organics, looking at like passive weed control, like, you know, through, uh, through solar uh, um, systems or, uh, you know, passive rooting systems, like through, uh, like in our tomatoes this year, my hard red spring wheat might have been where it was grown last year and, and turned under, you know, to, to give like where that roots so that soil will then be passive enough so the tomatoes can gain, not only taste good, but gain the nutrition, not just meant to be like, you know, root quick, fruit quick, be red and firm and, you know, uh, be in a can with a smiley label on it. Hopefully when, when people taste them, they taste good when they like, you know, they can go to the farmer or they can, um, they can, you know, have look at it, at data on, um, you know, the specifics of something. So for me, I just wanted to, I wanted to like be a part of something. It became like, I don't know, some good Pinot in Willamette Valley now. And it's good Burgundy in France. So why wouldn't there be natural to have something on our shelves and in our pantry that would like, I still have some great Semerzanos in my pantry. And I have some beautiful, I make fresh pasta from, you know, in Arizona from grain that we grow, Iraqi Durham and Bluebeard Durham. And it's fresh and it's delicious. But I still love pasta mancini from the market that they grow and they mill and they meticulously and artisanally dry it. And it, it, they're both awesome, you know? So I think part of like, if I open a bottle of wine or can of tomatoes, in those cases, those things that are, or, or great cheese, those things that can age and be shared and shipped along with all this little precious salad. But there's some other things like, you know, this, you know, 63 pound wheel of Reggiano that can come over on a slow passive little boat and, and be in our kitchens and we can, you know, chunk into it and, and we can open a bottle of wine or the tomatoes and all of a sudden you're suddenly, you know, like if it's a bottle of wine, I'm always thinking about like if it came from Chile or, or Spain or Italy or whatever, like, you know, you think about like if you ever drove through like, you know, whatever wine region at night and you don't really see anything and you think about like, there's fucking just grapes out there just chilling, man, the fog's rolling in. They're just hoping not to freeze. And then someday, like three and a half years later, they're sitting in our... They're sitting in our pantry or our, our coolers or uh, backseat of our car, and we just choose to pop but, it open. But, and but, I mean, here, but here's the thing: like, if you are just listening to your explanation of the tomatoes, right? It's like I'm just equating this to the same thing when someone asks me, like, how, how do you know a fish is fresh? I mean, a fish is fresh. I'm like, if you have to ask, like, it's not right. Like, you're just your explanation about tomatoes, and we'd even like understand how that's even. Combined into the pizza making and how you make it with pasta. It's why you're great at your job. You just care more about it than anyone else. Which is it's the same thing, Chad. We we care. Yeah, we, we definitely care a lot. But it's also, um, I think, an important part of it. And this, this goes with the grain and the work. Chris and I have been working with this whole uh, collection of farmers, the WSU um, – 
grain breeding and then and then our millers, Karen Springs and Camus, um, is the relationships. Like we go up there and you know, there's bald eagles flying around, there's ferns everywhere. It's beautiful. It's beautiful. It's 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 an incredible place. But then we meet the farmers and you know, they tell us that for the last, you know, few generations, they've always grown wheat as a rotational crop. And there's like 80 crops that they grow in this region. And wheat was always kind of, you know, a loss leader. They just, just grow commodity, plow it under to use. And now they're growing some of the best grain in the world and we're using it. And we've got 3 million pounds of grain for Tartine and Bianco for next year, for this year. And when I go there now, they, they like, thank us. I'm thanking them for growing this amazing wheat, this grain for us. And they're saying, you guys are, you know, you guys are compelling us to grow better grain and you're making beautiful stuff with it. And now this thing that was, you know, kind of something we, we had to grow. Now it's actually a valuable thing that we're growing. It's part of the community. And all of this love and care is going to be distilled in the joint Los Angeles operation. What, what is it? Because it keeps on changing, morphing, bigger, <laughs> larger. I, I I don't even know how to describe it to my, anyone. I think when you see it, it helps. We're, we're figuring it out. Yeah. Yeah, I think. Where is it number one? Uh, oh, At, it's seven 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 seven. Uh, good number. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, we got a good number. Got a good number. Seven 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 Alameda. It's in the old American Apparel Building. South yeah. Alameda. Yeah. So used yeah, to make clothes big, and now make something else. Big. I mean, the buildings are are interesting. They're big industrial buildings and. Um, you know, there's a big produce market there. They were they were always kind of historically um, related to food food systems, and um, yeah, we just kind of repurposed them again. Yeah, I mean they're built in 1917, and I mean there's concrete ceilings and concrete floors, and like you know there's you know uh, partner Chris Jordan on the coffee side is just you know the the Willy Wonka of of coffee world is down there. I mean there's the I mean, I know a little bit about coffee that I like to drink, but, you know, to hear him wax poetic about, you know, he's in Africa right now, you know, building his relationship. He lived there for, I think he lived there for like nine, 10 years. And, you know, coming back and these, you know, from these families, these green beans will arrive, they'll be roasted in-house. It makes the whole building kind of, you know, smell delicious. And... uh you got to fill the 40,000 square feet so you're roasting coffee. Yeah. How How is this different than what you have in San Franchise? And, you know. It's, uh, I mean, it's kind of, it's another version of that, but um, obviously it's it's much bigger and that's why, I, you know, I've been wanting to work with Bianco for for 20 years, 25 years. And finally, I, I when I was first shown the space at, at the road downtown, <laughs> I I wanted to run away. <laughs> And then, and then I started to reflect and think, hey, why don't I just invite some friends and think a little bigger and fill this fill this place up with with relationships? And that's when I called Chris. And, yeah, it's so a, walk in, I can buy coffee. Yeah, you're roasting, coffee, bread, you're baking. Cheese, yeah, and and are you going to be selling bread? Can I be buy? Can I buy the bread for my restaurant soon enough? Bread is for sale. Yes, <laughs> we're selling bread. We're making a lot of bread. Uh, for your restaurant, sure. <laughs> <Of course. laughs> um, and you're also making pastries and sandwiches. And we've got, we're open for dinner now. We're making pastries. We're making. We have a takeout window on the 12th next week. We open all day, so it's just gonna be breakfast, lunch, dinner, and then, and then we have a dinner only restaurant that's fifteenth uh, yeah. uh, gonna open in March. In March, then Bianca's sort of work, working on that menu. It's gonna be. 
you know, Bianca's obviously famous for pizza, but he can cook anything yeah. really, really, really well. And I'm excited about that restaurant because we got pizza on one side and then the other side is going to be more like, like, uh, all of our favorite stuff for yeah. dinner. Right. Yeah. We got a little, uh, I mean, it was loosely kind of like inspired by a little restaurant trotto that we opened a couple years ago that, that, um, I built that with that intention of like template and, and, you know, uh, and also kind of, a. a um, kind of a petri dish for, for the talent to evolve. Like we have a very simple menu there, but the, you know the the our, my chef Cassie Fiorentino and our team there uh, has a place really to um, to yeah, evolve. And I think we took some of that philosophy, even though here it's it's I'd say more kind of a, it maybe has a little bit of an Italian accent, but but it's just shit we like to eat. Yep. So we're calling it Alameda Supper Club because we're only be over tonight, and it's on Alameda. Best we could do. And um, where's the pizzeria? Well, what's coming? We're, we're gonna do a little pizzeria. We'll do a little pizzeria. That's not, is well, it, the is pizza, it, well, the well, the flat we can get. We we'll do okay. I'll, let me back it up. Let me back it up. Is it pizza? No, that one. No, that no. one's no pizza in it. There's no pizza. No in pizza in Alameda, but there is going to be. There's there's there's, there's already these. We already have flatbreads you can eat in Tartine Bianco. So these Whoa, flatbreads. Flatbreads on pizza. Let me tell you. Let me tell you something. Let me let me explain. It Scandalous. To you. No, it's two me, words. Flat. No, let me bread. let me tell you what happened. Let me tell you what happened. So we're doing this thing, and we looked at the name, Tartine and Bianco. So I wanted to take, like, I always saw pizza anyway. You know, like, I mean, quick story. I remember when Nancy was doing Moza, and, you know, she came out, and she, we were talking about pizza and this, and I'm like, you're fucking Nancy fucking Silverton. Like, you know bread. Just fucking flatten it. Like, who gives a shit? Like, Italians like it. They don't like it. Somebody, I mean, you, you know how to make bread. And and it's it's funny, like her, she has a very unique style that's her style. And I love it and I love her and, and it, 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 she owns that and it's wonderful. I think what we try to do there, like I have something specific and I'm going to do a Pizza Bianco in LA, just like my original one one day at an undisclosed location one day. But I think what I wanted to do here first was do something that was truly collaborative, <laughs> truly collaborative that... Um, um, Bill Simmons, ladies and gentlemen, you know? <laughs> but uh, threw me off. That, that was taking, you know, like if if part of my job was putting things in balance, like I said, and I had this, you, like you, you, like you, you were already familiar with what I did. I wanted to take something that you were familiar with, he did, and you were familiar with what I did, and you put it in a place that could succeed. For instance, like. Chad is doing this insane like porridge bread, like taking like I tried it yesterday. It's fucking awesome. It's, 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 so yeah, good. Yeah, yeah. So, so that is like like I can't really do on that one like you know pizza at one hundred five percent hydration that we wanted to do it at or with taking rye and extending it into a porridge so we have something that's super wet. So we're doing something that a we want to do something that it could sit out, it can reheat. It wasn't necessarily like you know we we love Rome, and I love Sicily, and I love Grandma Slice, and they're all awesome Detroit style. It's great. We wanted to do something in that space, like the like the flatbreads there, and hear me out on this one because I fucking hate that word, but I love it for this case. <laughs> no, but you got flatbread in your restaurant. But I don't call it flatbread; it's Chinese. <laughs> okay, but this it's but, like the the fucking word no really, one wants to embrace, <laughs> but it's everywhere. It's everywhere. Right? But I think in this I like case, your flatbread. Anyway. But but but, it's, but in this case, check it out. Like, I think well, this could be a whole fucking show about it because it's tormented me on. <laughs> Like, like, it's not gonna, it's not gonna end, dude. No, it's not, gonna, it's not going away. But here's the thing: it's also whatever the fuck you think it is. Just I'm own cool it. it. Just own it, man. I, I saw it. some photos I and I was like, 
thank you. I was like, thank you. Thank you for now I'm there's a whole it. genre like is going to like, like open up and people cannot be embarrassed about making quote unquote flat bread. Well, I'm saying is like, what is, when you have, like I said, for me, the best, for me, as good as the best baker in the world, arguably my favorite, but, and. Dude, your palate is opened up. You can do whatever the fuck you well, want. I'm, now I'm it's saying all, is like, all good. Wait, should there be rye? Should there be Rojo or Stargazer grain in that for, to be pizza. I don't know. If it's pizza to you, it's cool. But for me, I wanted you to think about, it always started with the bread. And we wanted to top it minimally and really put, like, I wanted, like, we wanted to use Comte, for the, the Neil Shore, the French Comte that we love. Like, mm, ham, Comte. Some, we used them, some pickled mustard seeds and some fresh thyme. That sounds good to me. I'd fucking eat that shit. So that is our research. It's like, oh, I'd eat that shit. Oh, that, 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 that crazy... Porridge, brother, you're doing? Let's extend that. Let's flatten I'm it. I'm very happy. Yeah, I'm very happy to so, eat these things. But we are going to do, and we are, like, in this city, I am going to do, I promise, I'm going to do something like the the prequel to the sequel. I do want to give people, like, what I've done my whole Come year. Come on, Chris. You basically want to just do it so you can tell them to shut the fuck up. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> no, no, no. It's personal. I want to do I want to do one. I want to do one more, like, the 30 years. Like, what would I do different, you know, in that case? It's a, it's a study. You know, I want. I like to build things that... that we talk this. about it, both of us, like putting two wood-fired ovens next yeah. to each other and saying, you know, this is the old tartine in the country, this is the old pizza <laughs> yeah, Bianco, yeah, and but we're not chained to the oven. You yeah, know? yeah, Dude, it's very exciting to yeah. see what's going to happen. Don't don't get pissed when I do KPK. Hey, <laughs> maybe we, we'll do. It. KPK. We've been talking about it. We've been talking about this as a no, joke. I was, for I was a while. talking to I was talking to Chris <laughs> Ying last night. I was saying, you know, Dave stopped talking to me about. KPK and then he opens this restaurant in LA with bread and I was like thinking he, he didn't talk to me I don't know if it's going to be any good and then I ate it it's delicious well thank you it's amazing thank you. I love it we, well none, all, none of the recipes are the same like all the places where we're making bing or bong it's all fucking different right um, and you know I just wanted to make sure because to me bread making or pasta making is something that has to happen in our restaurants at least one thing right if we're going to buy Bread, like it's going to be from someone that makes it way fucking better than we could ever fucking do it. But if we can make a simple bread that we can make delicious, that act of making something from scratch, I think is so important for cooks today. Yeah. To have their hands in something. I agree. I agree. And I think, you know, the, 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 the last part to the whole thing is, uh, is we do run into these, like, these people that, like, I mean, and like I said, pizza, bread, barbecue, coffee, um, you know, noodles for sure. I mean, everyone took a fucking weekend warrior class. They're an expert. So I'm saying, it's like, if I took the word away, almost, you didn't fucking know, does it suck? We don't think it sucks. We think it's fucking really delicious and we're proud of it. Well, I just, and, you, you said something earlier that I think people need to, like, think about more. Why do I not like it? What is the reason? Is, am I, is it my own bias? and my own ignorance? I like it. And I think that that's the thing is flatbread is this fucking crazy thing that people don't know how to wrap their heads around yet. Yeah, like, like, like for instance, if we put like, we do one with, um, you know, sheep smoked cheese, uh, lemons from JJ's Lone Daughter Ranch, um, red onion, uh, and, and that's it, rosemary. So is that is that pizza? Is it focaccia? Fusion. You know, Brooke, Brooks, <laughs> I, I know. Brooks Healy was here the other right, day, right? Yeah, yeah, and yeah. it was the day you were here and then you had to go home and be with the family for a day. He was here when you weren't here and he came up to me. He was eating with, with other friends, and, but I was, I was in the restaurant. And he came up and he's like, I don't know what you call that, <laughs> but I love it. 
And I was like, thank you, brother. That's yes. exactly yeah. what we want to yeah. hear, yeah. you know? His focaccia is very good. Yeah, he's yes, every, very his good. fucking very everything good. is good. Very I mean, good. he has some things that blew my mind. Dude, he made a he made a vegan polenta ice cream that's just like Yeah. I mean, I love it. Another galaxy. Just on another planet yeah, in terms of what he can is. do. And so his palate's still so underrated. Still, yeah, underrated. still underrated. I buy I'm, I amen to that. So yeah, so we're I think like the other thing is we are really proud of like where we came from and what we do. But we also, I guess part of it is, you know, is as you do evolve and you do grow, you want almost people to see, you know, a little bit of the arsenal of of like of things that you normally can't do in your and you're like you've got that same menu that we've done for 30 years, which I love and I, you know, it goes deep in the market change, but there's certain things that are standards. And God forbid if you ever fucking walk out of that little cadence that you've built. Like your you know, your regulars, you know, they're not having it. So I think this allows us to take those I think those principles and those integrities and, and repurpose them or recalculate them. Well, if you guys don't piss off people in the best way possible, <laughs> if and when KPK does happen, <laughs> let, me, let me add, throw my hat in the ring, and then I'm sure people are going to get very upset. No. You can't put that on fucking flatbread. <laughs> you can do it, baby. I can't wait. You can do it. It's cool, man. If it's, I would say, even my kids, if it's your thing, all you young kids out there, if it's your thing, do your thing. That's all we can tell you. I don't know how we can top that. Thank you, gentlemen. Thank, Thank you. you, brother Chang. Visit uh, vis- visit the new Chad Robertson, Chris Bianco. What do you call it? Tartine Bianco. Tartine Bianco. That's made sense. That's a, that makes there sense. There you go. Just like flatbread. <laughs> we got some other name. It was like I think it was the no. <laughs> Two some, of the greats. Yeah. Literally some of the best food, and by the best chefs and the teams out there. Check it out. Thank you for joining us, Love guys. You, bro. Thank Bye. you. Man. And that was my long, winding conversation with Chad Robinson and Chris Bianco, the dynamic duo behind the manufacturing located in the row in downtown Los Angeles. I love these two guys. They're so talented and they make amazing food. I promise you we're, we will do Korean Pizza Kitchen KPK one day. Just don't know when or where, but it's something I've been talking to Chad about for a long time. And without a doubt, Chris's knowledge will make this better because if it's not a flatbread, it's not pizza, I don't know what it's going to be, but it's going to be delicious. And uh, it's a good segue into what I wanted to talk about very quickly. Both Chris and Chad are recipients of the respective James Beard Awards. And every year, the James Beard hosts sort of a ceremony that's akin to, I'd say, the Oscars, and at least that's what the media likes to compare it to, the Oscars of the food world, located now this year and the next probably few years in Chicago. And I love Chicago. It'd be great to have it move around. It's been held a lot in New York. I remember back when it was in the old Marriott Marquis, and then Avery Fisher Hall, Lincoln Center, and then Chicago. And it would be nice if it was in New Orleans. Texas, Las Vegas, LA, San Francisco. But for right now, it's in Chicago and great to see everyone in Chicago. And last week, I partook in the the most recent James Beard Awards. And there's a lot to say, and I won't go too deep into it, but obviously there's a lot of controversy in any award show, be it the Michelin Guide or the Top 50. And the James Beard Awards is important for different reasons because it's not necessarily a rating system. You're being voted by your peers and previous winners and journalists. That's the voting body. And it's probably done awards for 25 years or so. And I would say when I followed it in the mid to mid 90s to late 
aughts, or I would say before social media and the internet, it was one of the better ways to get national recognition besides winning Food and Wine, Best New Chefs and Gourmet and stuff like that. It was really hard to get credibility unless you were recognized by your like local peer group. And that's how local or regional places in America would get the national recognition on this one day of the year where chefs and cooks and front of the house and journalists would fly in and celebrate one another. And and for those days, it was a lot of fun because we worked too hard not to celebrate one another. And to all the winners and nominees, I do celebrate you. And I am so proud of being part of this industry. We were nominated this year for a James Beard Best New Restaurant for Major Domo in a terrific category of nominees with Angler in San Francisco, Bavel in Los Angeles, run by Ori Minash and his wife Genevieve, just terrific restaurants, Adamix, the terrific modern Korean restaurant and the eventual winner, and deservedly so, Frenchette, by two of my favorite chefs in the whole world, Riyadh Nasser and Lee Hansen. Um, and they've paid their dues working at Danielle Blued and for Keith McNally. And that whole McNally restaurant group really owes them a great debt. But what they've done at Frenchette has been tremendous and a very, very worthy winner for Best New Restaurant. And I am so happy for everyone, truthfully. Sean Gray of Momofuku Co. was also nominated for Best Chef in New York City. Big congratulations to him. And honestly, I was just rooting for him, but I wasn't just rooting for him. It's just like everyone that's a, a nominee is a friend and someone that you really want to win. And you don't want anyone to lose. And that's the problem with these fucking awards, man. Michael Siramusti finally won after nine years, the chef of Providence in Los Angeles. That guy is unbelievable and has contributed so much to American gastronomy. And like you look at these categories and it's just so hard to finally win. You know, Jeremy Fox in Los Angeles as well. Like, uh, man, Jessica Coslow. Like, I mean, obviously I get emotional because I just want everyone to get their recognition. We lost both of the awards. Sean Gray lost for New York City. Big shout out to the team at Via Carota of Jody Williams and Rita Sodi. Again, like even if you lose, like you're so fucking happy for those that win. You just wish that everyone could sort of win. But it doesn't work that way. And honestly, we've benefited. I benefited so much from winning Beard Awards in the past. I don't really ever have any expectations about winning more. I was just so thrilled for Sean and the team at Major Domo. And it's a celebration of them and it's a celebration of the industry. Uh, yes, it can be criticized. But when we won in the past, it was just so fucking strange because it's not like I was ever expecting to win any kind of beard award. It can be seen as a popularity contest or something that's antiquated because one of the criticisms of the beard awards was that it didn't have inclusion or diversity. And a lot of the same sort of criticisms most recently hit against the Oscars. And the last couple of years, particularly this year, was a huge step forward because many of the winners and nominees were not your traditional white tablecloth or white people, right? It was a, a good mix of women, of people of color. And that's a whole nother topic, uh, which I won't want to get in today, but it was great to see diversity be celebrated in these awards. But the beards will always contend with people thinking it's some kind of popularity contest or that there are some secret politics behind it. I think the most radical, impressive thing the beards could do 
is, you know, if they really want to take this another level, is to make voting transparent. Because the voting body is essentially comprised of previous winners and journalists. And I'm a voter, and I immediately shudder to think what people might think when I vote, right? Just to make it all out there. But holding everyone accountable and making everyone honest about where they've been eating is probably the best way the Beard Foundation can sort of take the next step. And it's a conversation I had with quite a few chefs pre and post ceremonies. And one of the good things about the Beard Awards, there's there's always a, a good time to be had. And um, that was a conversation from winners and losers about transparency. And I was reminded of the Baseball Hall of Fame changing their requirements for voting because someone like Ken Griffey Jr., one of the greatest players of all time, had like three people that voted against him. That's ridiculous. And I think that with all the work that chefs put in, I think they deserve the recognition and, quite frankly, the the honorable thing to know where voting went and how it all sort of got cast. And if it can happen with the Baseball Hall of Fame, which I think has really rectified some of the problems in voting for the Baseball Hall of Fame, and more specifically, and most recently, the NBA voting for all NBA teams, which is done by the journalist, is now all done transparently. So everyone knows for what what journalists voted for, for first team, second team, you name it, all these awards. And it keeps people accountable. And I think that with the Beard Awards, one of the best things you can do if you haven't been to a restaurant is to abstain from voting. It's really hard not to like uh, vote for your friends. It's really hard not to vote for your region. But if you haven't gone to certain places, then you should probably just abstain. That's my opinion. Uh, I don't know if it's going to work, but I think the next step, if we've gone this far in making the Beard Awards better, my one suggestion, which I think would be very hard to not listen to, quite frankly, because it's so easy. Let's just see where the votes are cast. I just believe that transparency can help prove that's a meritocracy because, man, it's hard to see people feel like what they did wasn't good enough. And um, it's a first step to getting more people into the fold and moving it to a place where there cannot be any questions. And the reality is, as I talk this through, I realize how insignificant whatever the fuck I'm just talking about is because it's an awards show. It really means relatively nothing. And yet simultaneously, it's something that a lot of my peer group thinks about and talks about. But to the rest of the world, if you're not in the culinary arts, if you are just listening as a fan, everything I just said is probably nonsensical and not worth it to you. So this outro to this podcast was to a few people that participate in the James Beard Awards. I will shut the fuck up. Anyway, there won't be any Ask Dave at MajordomoMedia.com questions because I just went on this crazy, stupid, long rant on the James Beard Foundation. Thank you, guys. Give us five stars on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher. And uh, to uh, everyone listening, thank you so much. And Mitchell Davis, don't punch me in the face. I love you. Bye. Bye.